HBCUs have strived to be driven by something more than the market economy. There has been the vision that a university would be an inescapable social force for good. This has attracted a cadre of faculty, staff, and administrators to these institutions who came because of a strong sense of mission and providing an excellent educational experience to those who had been denied access because of racial, social, cultural, or economic barriers. They have been driven by the fundamental belief that all of our citizens should have access to a higher education if they so desire. HBCUs have a long history of educating low-income and underrepresented students. These institutions have created a different educational experience, one that alumni often refer to as a culture of caring. What's an HBCU? Is it someplace where blacks go to stay united and true? Is it the empowering journey through educational elevation or an institution to garner further separation? For me, the choice is one I battle with. However, sometimes you've got to take it to God and listen to the spirit. Do I go with the mainstream like a popular election or do I make another choice of educational perspective? From the first moment on campus, you will know like-minded spirits and energies that flow from freshman move-in day to the degree you hold in your hand on graduation day. Walking to the cafe for lunch, remember your ID card. You've got to swipe to pay. And nothing compares to fried chicken Wednesdays and fish Fridays. Programs geared towards world knowledge and current events. This type of environment is truly heaven sent. Professionals and professors that challenge you because they have your best interests at heart. The wisdom they give us will never depart. Homecomings that you will look forward to every year. Packed stands watching the band, such spirit as they cheer. Because we share a bond of great legacy. It means so much to us. So open up your eyes and truly see. Before we had anything else, all we had was us. People who have fought for our institutions and they're working their bones to the dust. The mission to become greater. We all share the same dream. It honestly doesn't matter where you go. It will be the mindset that pushes your self-esteem. Some, some come to an HBCU and it's not what they're looking for. They feel that at some place else, they can establish more. Many use the lack of diversity, then turn around and join black student unions to fight for equal privileges at institutions where they're no longer the majority. That's no hyperbole. Those same people always hanging on your campus. You may not know them by name. It could be maybe just a few, but you better believe they know the strength, power, and greatness of going to an HBCU. But they are not willing to attend, so they gaze as a spectator just to see. I understand both perspectives, and that is how it should be. But when we're in the same room, I hope that you still notice me. We're both still black, and that's a fact, but we can agree to disagree. Our intellectual conversation shouldn't stop at the name on our degrees. Most jobs just want the person with the best work ethic. Can't you see? Our choices are intrinsic and lie deep within, deeply connected to a love that will never end. Some, some may not understand it. That is the reason that we do not ask for respect. We demand it. We're no strangers to adversity. 
but we thank God every day for keeping our doors open in his sweet love and mercy. HBCUs are a beacon of light for all, no matter your color, creed, religion, or orientation. Whether you've got the career path figured out or you need a little motivation. In life, many great things will happen to you, but nothing will compare to your decision of attending an HBCU. To say that you've been a friend of mine Before we begin this episode, we should tackle HBC relevancy amongst millennials um, in Generation Z and just our regular modern day space. I want to dedicate this episode to those who have fought tirelessly and dedicated their life um, to HBCUs, whether they be known by name or not. Those of us who have attended HBCUs know that um, they are the backbone. They're the ones who keep the life breathing in our institutions. Without their love and without their care and dedication, our 100 plus HBCUs would not exist. Um, so they deserve the spotlight. Um, you know, and if you know somebody, or if you run into somebody, and you know that they work at an HBCU or that um, that they used to, or that they're an alumni. Um, just stop and just show them some love. You know, just those simple things um, could be so important to someone. All right, so tap in. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Verbal Exchange Podcast. And if you haven't already guessed it, today's topic is HBCUs. Now, this was sparked by a conversation with a colleague I was having who said, despite with all the injustice going on and all, you know, the racial tension going on, that they would still send their child to a PWI in the Deep South. And it kind of made me cringe. And I was like, you know what? I need we need an HBCU episode. You know, um, you can't cover everything. Um, in the modern time, because it's a rich 100 plus year history. But I just want to hit some hot points and kind of get people sparked and, you know, just thinking a different a different kind of way. So first, before we even get into that, what is an HBC, right? So an HBC is an acronym many people probably have never heard. You know, people might even ask you what it is and don't even be put off by that because they don't know they don't live in that world. So HBCU stands for Historically Black Colleges and University. Um, secondly, the Higher Education Act of 1965, which increased the federal funding for colleges and universities, coined the term. 
So, before the Civil War, higher education for black people was virtually non-existent, and newly free slaves were denied admission to traditionally white institutions that had been established at the time. The individuals who managed to receive some type of education, such as Frederick Douglass and many, many others, um, studied in a less than desirable environment, and others had to resort to teaching themselves as they could. So a solution came with the second Morrell Land Grant Act of 1890, which indicated that schools, sorry, excuse me, that states who want to use federal land grants were required to either make their schools open to black and whites or give the money for segregated black colleges to function as a substitute to white schools. So, of course, what do you think happened? <laughs> People, they opted not to and they gave it. So we had separate schools. 16 entirely black colleges were given 1,890 land grant funds. Several HBCUs had already been founded at this point. Cheney in 1837. Y'all know Lincoln University, 1854. They're the first HBCU for sure. Um, UDC in 1851. Harris, though, 1857. And but this act did open the doors for several other HBCUs to be established through government funding. And with Title III in the Higher Education Act of 1965, Congress officially defined an HBCU as a school of higher learning that was accredited and established before 1964 and whose principal mission was the education of African-Americans. Since that time, HBCUs have grown both in funding and size and have enhanced the equal opportunity and educational rights for all students. I want to repeat that. All students. Today, there are more than 100 HBCUs across the South, East Coast, and Midwest. So HBCUs are just, to me, the, a beacon of light for everyone. And I will say that they're not for everyone, you know, just like any, any other school you go to. But if you can feel that it's right for you, then you should definitely make that choice. Um, so let's get into some common myths um, about HBCUs that maybe be off-putting before we get fully um, into our conversation. The number one is that HBCU enrollment is declining. Sometimes we hear that it's a back and forth, it's a back and forth whether HBCU enrollment is declining. And I have my thoughts on that. But for the most part, most HBCUs are trying to maintain and since, since sustain um, enrollment. And that's very important um, for federal funds and all other things. Snum uh, another myth is that HBCUs lack quality education and degree offerings. I think that um, that speaks to the history of HBCUs in the time. Like I said before, 1965, tensions are running really, really high and everything is kind of segregated because it has to be, you know, so that creates that sense of like, oh, well, it's a lack um, of education and it's not it's not the same as what we have. And a prime example of that I will use is um, the law school of South Carolina State University. So a lot of people don't even know about this, but in South Carolina, there was another law school at South Carolina State University. I'm a graduate of South Carolina State University twice in 2012 and in 2014. So the South Carolina General Assembly authorized the establishment of a law school at South Carolina State that was officially known at that point as the Color Normal Industrial Agricultural and Mechanical College of South Carolina. 
The school opened in 1947 with eight students and eventually 50 men and one woman would go to graduate, would go on to graduate from the, the school during its two decades of operation. Its graduates include the Honorable Matthew J. Perry, who would go on to become the first lawyer, first black lawyer from the Deep South to be appointed to the federal judiciary, and Ernest A. Finway, Finney Jr., former Chief Justice of the South Carolina Supreme Court. Now, the ending and the demise of this came when the University of South Carolina School of Law began admitting black students in 1964. Enrollment quickly dwindled at South Carolina State University. I mean, South Carolina State Law School at that point, and it was closed in June of 1966. So that goes back to connecting to HBCU's lack of quality education and degree offerings. See, because it makes it seem as if that the education they were receiving at the South Carolina State Law School was not equal to that at USC. And integration plays a great role in in the way that shapes the mindset of people. Um, full transparency, my dad went to a PWI. My mom went to an HBCU. And I will say that you have to go with what fits for you. But sometimes there is a culture of feeling that I need to have what others have because it will make me equal, you know, or it make me seem that I'm on the same playing field as them and that um, I can compete with them. Or if I go to this school, then I don't really compete with them. And I just find that hard to believe because really it's all about what's in you, what's intrinsically in you. You can arrive at any college campus and it's about you, you know, it's really about what you want to do the mistakes you make, the progress you make. It's really all up to you. Another common myth is that HBCUs lack diversity. This, <laughs> this is the biggest myth. It's there are all kinds of um, people walking on the campus of HBCUs, all different cultures, creeds, religions, anything you could think of. Top diversity is at an HBCU. But I will say that at an HBCU, it will make you uncomfortable if some things resonate in your soul that aren't right, because it's very unapologetic at an HBCU. It is very historical and reminding you upon the proponents of which it stands, all the great people who have come before you before you got there. And if you feel uneasy in your spirit, it could make you uncomfortable. Now, I will say that, um, but only uncomfortable if you're not open and willing to learning about different diverse cultures and different opportunities and different um, mindsets. Another common myth is that HBCUs don't prepare students for success. Now, listen, I know this a lot. Listen, from standing in the financial A line for hours, um, navigate, navigating the bookstore, walking to different buildings, um, forgetting your car for the calf, whatever it may be. Like you're going to go through different things and different obstacles um, at an HBCU, you know, so that's the thing. So it really does prepare you for life. Also, another bad rep that we get are that we're party schools. And that's just not true either. All schools party. All schools party. All schools party. I think we're maybe like, what, 45 minutes. Uh, my school is 45 minutes from like USC. And you can't tell me USC don't party just as much as um, as a regular school. But here's the thing. Sometimes schools in major cities or schools like that have neighborhoods 
that are specialized for them to go have fun. So it's not concentrated on the campus or nearby the campus because they have their own area to go to. Whereas sometimes at HBCUs, it is concentrated um, close nearby the campus because there aren't many options. And at least I know in Orangeburg, there wasn't many places to go other than the club at all. And you really shouldn't go there until like you've handled all the things you need to do. But that comes with learning that, and that comes with um, with growth because you're going to go through a journey through your matriculation at HBCU. And one quick, um, another quick myth I want to hit real quick is that HBCU degrees are not the same as those from other universities. And that's just not true. I have been in the room with people with degrees from the the most illustrious places you could think of. And I got the job. And I think that's because of how I was cultivated and cultured and how my school allowed me and invested in me, allowed me to grow. It saw my talents. Um, it gave me chances um, to grow professionally. I was a university employee before I was before I was 20. I was a university employee on the campus. And I think that's something not that not, not that it can't happen at other schools. It's just that really, truly investing in your own is important. Now, if you made it through all that, I know that was a mouthful. You're probably wondering what why is it what 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 with this topic you've probably what is this topic why does it keep coming up why is it so important why is it so relevant still even today well it's relevant because there are groups of people mainly those who are in the public eye who you see them on their instagram or you know maybe they even come to your homecomings you know but not without being paid for it first of course because they want that big 30 to whatever thousand dollar fee to come to your to your hbcu but you see them on instagram and on social media celebrating black culture they're benefiting from your investment your dollars and this is why when people say oh why are you watching people's pockets yeah pocket watch because if you are investing if your come up is on the dollar of people who have been at these institutions and you can't find a moment of your time to not it's not even about always giving money it's sometimes just about awareness and sometimes i find that i will see the children of these people um say oh i got into my dream school and sometimes i don't even hold my breath anymore sometimes you be thinking the dream school is is a Howard or is a FAMU or is a South Carolina State or is a Lincoln University or is a Delaware State or is um a Dillard or an Xavier University um in Louisiana. And then you find out, oh no, it's an NYU, it's a um it's a Purdue, it's a um it's a USC, it's a um it's a SCAD, and it's no shade to those schools. You know, it's no or no no disrespect to those schools. But sometimes it's just hard for me to understand why you would want your child to be at these schools. Now, yes, you want you feel like, yes, see, my child, my child got smarts. See, my child, my child can go and do, look, my child got into NYU. But you know what? I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Because it doesn't your child no justice to go to these schools that they dreamed of and graduate with a 2.5. You know, let's just put it on the table. And that's not saying that's what all people are doing. But what happens is they're thinking, well, my child got a 2.5 at this school. So, you know, no matter what, 
This school is on their degree. So this makes them equal to their counterparts at the school. But the fact is, it doesn't. It's I think it's hard for people to grapple with and accept the fact that no matter what what you do, you can't be equal to someone who does not view you as equal. So you have to keep your stride, keep your momentum and keep going and finding different ways to cultivate yourself and cultivate a community within each other. And what does that mean? That means investing in the home, you know, care starts at home and then it goes abroad. And what does that mean? That means for you to sit up in your house, you know, father and mother as two HBCU graduates and encourage your children to go to schools that are not HBCUs. No, no, listen, if they get a full ride and you ain't got to pay, cool. If um track scholarship, football scholarship, cool. Listen, I completely get it. And I understand why people opt not to. I completely get it because, you know, you have to go with what's inside. You know what I'm saying? But sometimes, just sometimes, I see people going into debt, taking out loans, stressing themselves out, stressing themselves out to be at schools. They really don't want you there. And it's not all of them. It's just some of them. As for me on on my journey before I was deciding before I decided to go to South Carolina State, I looked at many different schools, um, had visited schools and. I'll never forget at I was at one school that I was touring and I won't I won't name the name, but um, we were touring. We had toured the we had even got our IDs made. It's like, you know how sometimes you can get it's their way of trying to kind of like letting you um, an incentive like just go ahead and come here. You already got an ID. Right. So I was touring, doing all those things. And I went into the calf. We went to the calf for lunch. It was part of the tour. And for me, one one thing about me is I'm always going to find out where the ethnic people are. Where where are my people? Um, no matter where I'm at, where where are they at? So I found a group of it looked like about I think they were sophomores and they were sitting in the calf. And I was like, hey, the only way I'm going to be able to garner a true representation of this school is if I talk to people that are already here. And so I went over to go speak with them, and they were like, "Look, don't come here." They they told me they said they they said they put on a good face for you to get here and then when you get here it's just straight trash for lack of better words just trash um, they're like but we're already here we're already like sophomores about to be juniors we're not about to lose all the time we've already put in um, to go someplace else they told me about all the um, the racism they were enduring the professors that were giving them you know being harder on them than usual. Um, because if you, if you've been through college or any, if you've come across a professor, they have that power of the pen and it's kind of, it is what it is. So they were just letting me know of the situation at the school. And ultimately I had decided that that's not where I wanted to go. I had, um, applied to other schools and got into, you know, very reputable PWIs. And then I visited South Carolina State University. Um, my mom is a graduate of South Carolina State University. I visited and I just fell in love. And I understand that that's different for other people, for other people. But I just fell in love with the school and I, I wanted to go there. And I felt that it was important for me to go there um, because of the connection I felt while I was there. I felt that they really invested in their students 
that they were going to hold our, not hold our hand, but kind of lead us through this journey that we would not be alone. And it was just black. Like, like, like Jill Scott said, it was just black ass. Like it was, it was looking a bit black. Like it was super black. And I was just in astonishment. Like here I am on this, on this campus of black excellence where everyone is like, has a smile and they want you to succeed. And they know that if you succeed, they succeed in that pouring into each other is a beautiful thing. And knowing the difference. I think the big thing is knowing that pouring into each other, pouring into your institution is not saying that you don't support other things or other people or other, or other groups, but it's no, it's saying that I know that no one is going to have our back like those who understand and who have went through here. No one's going to have Fisk back like people who have went to Fisk and alumni and teachers and professors there. No one's going to have Lemoyne Owens back like people who are connected to the school. No one's going to have FAMU, Bethune, all those people's backs like those people who are invested in those schools and truly understand not only their mission and what they stand for, but what they mean so much to the greater good and to history and to the populace of people there. Now, that got me to thinking, what is what truly is the problem or what what about HBCUs bothers people so much? Because sometimes it just it's like it it pins whenever you bring it up. Sometimes it just pokes certain people and it's like they want to poke the bear and they want to start a HBCU versus PWI argument, which that's not what it is. Even this episode, this episode is really just about black excellence, giving a platform and giving respect to those who have supported HBCUs. HBCUs for so long. And I'm hoping that by putting this in the stratosphere, that maybe even if only one person attends an HBCU from listening to this, then I just feel so fulfilled. One of the things that got me thinking about what the problem is and what people see with HBCUs is that I think HBCUs remind people of the black excellence of Wall Street, of Black Wall Street in Tulsa. The re- hear me out. This is the reason. It's because HBCUs they have their own space. They cultivate. They do research. They are the breeding and the, the groundwork of so many great people that go on to do great things. Um, Oprah and all these different people who are from HBCUs because HBCUs give a chance to those who don't have a chance. And I think because we give a chance to those who don't have a chance, many times people think that we went there because we couldn't get into any place else. And that's just not true. For me... And for many of the people that I know, we went there because we felt a sense of belonging. You have four years. You only get four years in college or longer for those that choose to stay longer. You only get four years in college and you want to spend them at a place where you don't have to always be fighting to be heard, fighting to have respect, fighting to um, to just walk amongst your campus. You don't want to have to always have on a T-shirt of the school that you're going to so people know you're a student. They're not asking you if you're trespassing or you're walking into a dorm. And I'm not saying that people always go through these experiences. But for those of us who attend HBCUs, it's kind of sometimes we stand in solidarity with our other brothers and sisters who attend um, PWIs. But sometimes when they start the look what I'm going through thing, but yet give us so much disrespect that towards our schools and our choice to attend, 
um, HBCUs, then it just kind of falls on deaf ears because it's like, well, wait, are you on scholarship there? No. Okay. Well, so you're cho- you're choosing to go through all that when there are these institutions that really wrap their arms around you and give you what you need. And it's over a hundred. You don't have to keep going to the major ones. There's over a hundred that could that can tap into whatever skills that you need to serve you in whatever capacity um you want you know so just know that you there there are options for you so i think that's where the disconnect and as you grow it becomes a thing now some people see the light some people they see the light and they they transfer or they go to an hbcu and get their masters but it's really still not the full experience that they're looking for but even that's great because now you are connected and you are invested in it. It's no no matter when you wake up to HBCUs, as long as you wake up and realize that the impact that they have on our country, the beauty it has, the connection, and how valuable it is. Now, when we get back um, from break, we're going to talk about why HBCUs, the the... In case you missed that last part, when we get back, we're going to discuss why the mindset has changed towards HBCUs and what will propel them into the future. What's up, y'all? Welcome back. Those are the wonderful sound selections of the South Carolina State University Marching 101 and the band from North Carolina A&T. Beautiful, beautiful, um, beautiful bands, beautiful people, super, super dope, super talented. Um, And I hope that that brought some delight to your ear. So what changed the mindsets and the views on HBCUs? Let's look at it. So we had integration in the 1960s, right? So, you know, even though integration was going on, people were still staying close to them, you know, still, you know, like, okay, well, we have this, these options to go other places, but, you know, but slowly over time, you know, people started moving away, um, getting into different neighborhoods, um, going to different type of schools, figuring like, well, I don't have to go there anymore. So why go with this comes a lot of loss, the loss of businesses, the loss of investing in community, the loss of investing in each other but mainly black business like integration just 
super killed black business. You know, but that's a whole nother conversation for another day. But I hope people know that like it killed black business and it killed investing in people because you went from all you had was each other to be like, mm, I ain't got to go to JoJo's store. I can go to whatever. You know what I'm saying? So you have that. But then there is, OK, an uptick in the 80s and 90s. HCUs are popping like that's my parents going, your parents going, uh, your relatives, aunties, uncles, cousins, whatever, going 80s and 90s. Um, and it kind of coast even into the 2000s. The last great boom, I will say, that I saw of just like a super uptick in population of HBCUs would be 2007, the year before I got there, in 2008 and maybe 2009. So in 2007, I know at our schools, it was so many students there, they had ran out of space. Like, And as much as chaos and stuff, that's exciting to have so many students that want to go to your schools the, the want to go to HBCUs that you don't have space to put them. Yeah, it's aggravating to the parents and stuff, but like that's major for an HBCU to have so many students that like, I mean, just wow, right? Then you have my year, 2008, entering freshman in 2008, coming in. So many diverse people from California, Texas, I mean, the West Coast, Texas, um, Louisiana, um, international students, a lot of students from Africa, England, um, all these different students, like our tennis team and, and stuff like it's just, you know, very diverse. It's just a very diverse group of people coming. Then in 2009, it was like, mm, OK, but that was the last boom I can say. So maybe between 2006 and 2009 was the to me the last great boom of like students being like, yes, we're going. And that proof is in the pudding with my class being the largest to graduate from South Carolina State University. So that's proof that um, that there was a big boom in that time. Since then, quite a few things have happened across the board at all HBCUs. Leadership. First, I'll start with leadership. Leadership is very important. Part of loving yourself and pouring into yourself and cultivating yourself is knowing when you're doing things that harm yourselves. When you're making choices that don't won't necessarily move your HBCU or your institution into the future. And what do I mean by that? Letting go of people for personal reason, reasons or letting go of people for political reasons at your institution or people that you cannot control as easily. Because with those, with letting those people go, with burning those bridges, comes a loss of connections that funnel into the school. This is across the board at all HCCUs. So that's number one. Number two is growing with the times. That has been the thing that I've watched across the board that some HBCUs are really good with growing with the times, but there's almost an archaic type of um, thought process of thinking, well, we've been doing it this way, so we don't have to change it. You know, your school should be because of this, this new generation, I think it's Generation Z behind millennials, which is are us. They need interaction. They need PR programs. For instance, like. Cardi, Cardi and Megan just dropped their WAP video. It's all about digital. Like, what can they see? Show, show me why I need to come, come to your school. Show me, show me why I want to come from New York and come to school in South Carolina. And but before that was no problem. Or why I want to come from your school and go to Florida or or uh, Missouri or Texas or why why should I? Like, show me what are y'all doing. What is so exciting? What is the thrill about this school? 
without a good PR campaign and without people who really care and invest to push your school forward and have it at the forefront, you'll run into problems which we've been seeing lately, which are when people do care and invest, they're only investing in the Spellman, in the Morehouse, in the Howard, because that's all that they know. You need to have people on the forefront who speak out for your school, much like I'm speaking out now, um, because I love my institution and I love HBCUs and and the beauty and the people and just everything it is. You need those people on the forefront who can really speak to, hey, let me let me share with you a little bit of my story, because I can tell you for a fact, God, my parents in South Carolina State have propelled my life to places, to heights, to things that I don't. I would have never seen. And that that's a beauty from from a jewel that is in Orangeburg. And I feel like it's amazing that we shine so much with another HBCU, having to share the town with another HBCU and still shining as much as we do. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so no matter no matter what your HBCU is, make sure you are having people that are traveling abroad and speaking to that. Something that I also think has um, has changed the opinions of HBCUs is we don't have the budget or maybe HBCUs are not using the budget to really, really travel like that. Even before COVID, I would have students, I was living in D.C. before, um, before I moved, and they didn't really know. Besides, if they didn't have a teacher that went to the, the HBCU, the schools weren't talking about it and the counselors weren't coming. And it had me thinking like, OK, it what what is it? Is it a thing of you don't have the budget or there should be funds allocated just to straight marketing, PR, straight traveling, straight virtual, digital admissions, whatever, all the time. That that budget should stay stacked because that's your bread and butter. That's without students. What are you? You know, so you need that and, and that you need a digital space to move your school forward. And also, as much as people would not like to hear it, you need younger people. You need young blood on your campus. You need it. You need young people in positions and they don't even have to necessarily have went to the school, but you need that because if me, if I'm Generation Z or whatever, or I'm, you know, sitting at home and I have this older person telling me, well, you need to go. And we were. And did you know we had the order that we held the 2007 Democratic and, you know, and, and, and what about Congressman Clyburn? It's like. Listen, I respect that stuff. People in my age range respect that from that stuff. You know, late 20s, early 30s. They respect that. But these younger kids, they need they need tangible goods. They need people that they can be like, oh, cool. So wait, so you went to the school a few years ago? Yeah. Oh, so you're a recruiter for the school? And that person can engage in dialogue and share a story with with, you know, with those people. Who are interested in going to whatever school it may be. That's important as well. Finances. See, the thing is, especially if you're a public HBCU, anything that happens, mess, good, whatever, it's all for the public ears. And with the public ears, especially whether you're in a small state or large state, when bad things happen, it's amplified. The media seems like they pick up the bad things that happen at HBCUs and they run with it. They run with it. And it's, it's a sick fascination with with the picking up the bad things and running with it. And so what happens is people say, 
Well, why would you want to? What? That happened at whatever school. Why would you want to go there? Go to go to this school. And guess what? It's two thousand dollars cheaper. Yeah, it might be two thousand dollars cheaper, but the books that the, at that school is going to run. You already you know, it all balances out. You know what I'm saying? So it's important to always whenever somebody tries to hit you with a negativism about your school, counteract that with a positive. Oh, you heard that. But let me tell you this. I'll tell people in a minute, like, what other what other HBCU was Barack Obama at having the debate? But South Carolina State. Right. Miss Miss USA, South Carolina State, NFL, South Carolina State, whatever your school is. And I only speak South Carolina State because that's all I know. I can't give you I can't run down the facts at other schools because I didn't go there. But I do know quite a bit about those schools. But I give you what I know because I know how excellent my school is. I know how, how excellent the leadership is and how they really care about people and they're invested in people. I had the pleasure of even going to NASAP and meeting different leaders from other HBCUs and all those professionals and all those teachers and those people. I've met some of my lifelong friends at those leadership conferences, leadership conferences, not just for um, SGA and Royal Court, but leadership conferences are, are a common thing on HBCU campuses. Those are the ties that bind, that connect you to really awesome people that you can reach out to when you're in a place, when you when you move to California, when you move to Texas, you move to Florida, you can be like, you can pick up the phone or a text message or social media and be like, hey, and there's a connection. There's a, there's a connection there because they understand that you've been this, through the same thing as them. And it's all about cultivating excellence. I think in order to move our schools into the future, we have to completely change the mindset and we have to realize that unless we do our schools might not make it into the next the next 10 or 20 years and that's not all of them that's just some of them because with covid that has hit our schools you know you're not able to go out there you can't interact face to face with people so you got to have a real good digital um creation that can really showcase and capitalize your school in a way that makes people want to go there. Because already we're dealing with entertainers and fast money that is telling people, you ain't got to go to college. And that whole, I didn't go to college and I turned out successful thing, that already detours a lot of people. Because people from high urban areas don't want to go to college sometimes because they don't want to seem um, as an adversary or indifferent from their peers are different from their peers. So you're dealing with that. You're dealing with the mogul sense of people who they look at the Kylie Jenner's and the Kim Kardashian. They look at these different people who didn't go to college and they think, well, what is the need? Or they think that college is outdated. And for some people, it may be. If college does not benefit you, yeah, then don't go into debt. But if you really are still trying to figure things out and you can find a local HBCU, or a school that benefits you and you, it's, let's say you want to stay close to home. You're from Virginia, you want to stay close to home and you go to a Norfolk. The blessings and beauty that comes from that is just amazing to me. And that's how I view it. So I think that we, we have to learn how to just take our schools where they need to be. Let go of the people who don't really benefit the school anymore. If people aren't giving you or showing you action in years, then you already know what the answer is. Don't chance the future of your school on the present circumstance. 
because an empire is only as great as its next next ruler or its next person to take over and run the dynasty. You have to pass the torch to people who believe in your institution. You have to pass the torch to each other in our community, building in people, telling people, hey, you know what? I know that you might have thought about this, but let me give you an alternative. And that has always been the thing. Keep HBCUs in the conversation. For every one PWI plan pamphlet you pass to your child, give them an alternative at a reputable HBCU that you think they would s- succeed at. And let them do the choosing. If they still come out and they want to choose the other institution, that's great. But the whole thing is to always make sure that HBCUs are in the conversation, especially, especially, especially if you attended one yourself. It's so important. And you cannot have the Black Lives Matter conversation and be damaging to your own black people who are going to black institutions. You cannot say, I'm going to go out here and get arrested um, or I'm going to go out here and do whatever um, to to propel the injustices of black people and then still decide that you don't want to support black people by, and you want to send your child to a, a school that has totally opposing views of progression. It makes no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. And you can't make it make sense, you know. And I think once you get more people who are in the popular mainframe speaking and out in support of HBCUs, even like 2 chains on the verses, 2 chains and Rick Ross are HB, they, they are HBCU legacy. The years I was at state and the years I was traveling to different campuses and road tripping and stuff like that is that that's the culture. And I'm glad with that shout out that that big space, it has people be like, oh, HBCUs, let me let me look into that. And that's that's really all this about. And that's really all this episode is about changing the mind. Now, yes, there are a lot of nuances and a lot of different things we could have gotten into as to why, um, you know, things are the way they are. But this really is a love letter to HBCUs and to the people who consider going to the alumni, to the current students there, because they are historical and still relevant. And the conversation is still important. Do not let anyone ever tell you that the HBCU and other institution conversation is not valuable. It is because if that conversation involves you shining light on HBCUs in a negativism, then the conversation is very much relevant because you might can see a splinter in someone else's eye in HBCU eye. But do you see the two by four in yours? Now, remember that. So. I just want to always just, as always, send love to everyone. I know it's a very, very, very trying time. I know that today's episode was um, a little long, but I thank you for bearing with me. And if one thing I hope you garner from this is not only my love for my HBCU and other HBCUs, is that we must have a love for each other, a true love, not that fake shit, a true love, a genuine love for each other, to embrace each other and support each other and realize that if there is no competition, stop looking at everyone as your competition and realize that when one wins, we all win. That's that's how it is. That's how every other coach. That's how every other culture will take over a whole street. But you in competition for what? Build, hold each other's hand, uplift each other. Don't let a black business fail because you don't want to see that man sell bagels. 
It's enough people, y'all. If everyone bring, brings a dollar, that shop could stay open. But you're so worried about if he make if he make it, he gonna think he's something, and he might want to open up a second store. You know what I'm saying? And that's what it is. I donate to your HBCUs, donate to HBCUs, and just know. And also, too, with homecoming season being canceled, please, please, please. Any money you were going to use to travel to um, to any homecomings or any any place, send that money to the HBC. They really need it. Like, for real. With COVID going on, they really, really need it. Um, as always, I thank you all for listening. Um, this has been a beautiful episode, I think, because it's truly, it's truly from the heart because I love my school and my institution so much and HBCU so much until I just get fired up about it because I know that people... Don't want our schools to be open as much as you think they would, as much as you think, oh, we've been around for 100 plus years. They could care less if our schools close. So you got to care. You got to be the, you got to push and you got to want to see our schools succeed and become dominant in in this new age, in this new modern space. So with that being said, please don't forget to like, comment and subscribe and follow Verbal Exchange Pod on Instagram. Also, my personal Xavier Jante, X-A-V-I-E-R-J-O-N-T-E. As always, don't forget to look out for one another. Take care of yourself and each other until we meet again. Peace.